I edit these things regardless, so stuff you say that you want to take back or there's a lot of stuff that I want that I've said that I want to take back Thomas and I'm glad and I'm glad I'll be able to do it on your podcast <laughs> hey you're listening to talking about the passion I'm Thomas Irwin this is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music as for myself I'm a singer songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon you can look up more about my own music at niagramoonmusic.com. My guest for the seventh episode of Talking About the Passion is Alex Kessler, a.k.a. a part of. Alex is an indie pop bedroom producer hailing from eastern Massachusetts. In a part of, he's a virtual one-man band, playing all the different parts of his songs himself. His music is self-described as unique, twisty, and kaleidoscopic. So you're going to hear some tracks from his compilation, Best of 2015 to 2017. This first song is called Go With It. After the Skype interview, we'll hear two additional tracks, but first, here's Go With It.
So yeah, thanks for coming on. Sorry we had that uh, that struggle there, technical issues getting this going. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be uh, bent out of shape about it for a few weeks. So so thanks for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll get right to it. Um, I wanted to know how long have you been writing and recording songs? So so <laughs> it's a <good laughs> it's a good question. So I've been I've been writing songs since my junior year in high school. Um, which was a long time ago. It was 10 years ago. Wow. So how did you first get into that? What was your entry into uh, composing? It, it, was, it was an interesting journey, actually. My, my entry into composing started with an obsession with System of a Down, the alternative metal band. And so what I would do is I would listen to System of a Down um, and just obsess over them. And they were the first band that I really started to delve into in terms of their lyrics and their melodies. Um, they kind of blew my consciousness open uh, in terms of really delving into music and, and not just passively listening to it like I had done before. Um, and so what I would do, I, I just I wanted to create things like this band had created, um, meaning tracks, I, w I wanted to do what they did. Um, so what I would do is I would get these covers that people had made of System of a Down songs, like um, guitar parts to their songs or, you know, piano parts. And I would put, I would paste the audio of that into my recording ah. software and I would sing over it. So that was my introduction to recording huh. myself. And then over time, you uh, stopped sampling like that and started building up your own tracks? Yep. And oddly enough, well, not, not very oddly, actually, the, the beginning of my recording of, of my own stuff started in a very strange way. I would, uh, I would write one melody, and I would just sing it. And, and actually, I, I looked up how to write melodies because... I didn't understand how it was done. I, I knew that people generated melodies with their voice, but I didn't know how to structure a song. You thought there was some formula to follow. Yeah, I, I thought that I wasn't sure how one would make a, would support a vocal melody, essentially. So I, I did some research and I found out that you have to sort of make your vocal melody align with the chord that you're playing with it. Um, in terms of the, the notes that are in the chord. And uh, so I, I sort of uh, would, would have my vocal melody dance over single chords and just see what it could do. Uh, and then I turned, I turned that into a vocal melody dancing over, um, like from one chord to the next, and then from one chord to the next to the next. And <laughs> so that's pretty much how it unfolded. And then by that point, you got a song. Yep, exactly. 
Oh, so that's kind of interesting that you just kind of figured that out from like square one. Yeah. It, it was like a, a step-by-step process for you. Yep. It was very like scientific, very incremental. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very studious of you. <laughs> yeah. So how many instruments do you play? Well, I sing, and I play piano, clarinet, drums, guitar, bass guitar. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, so you're a one-man band. <laughs> yep, I, I uh, can do them all. Um, clarinet, I'm classically trained on, and I just I became extremely good at clarinet. But the, the, point, the, the thing was, I never really liked it very much. So you don't really play it anymore? No, I don't. But I've I I now uh, my main my two main instruments are piano and vocals. So have you ever played in bands or have you always just done your music by yourself for the most part? I have tried to get groups together and I have played with them for short times like I've done single shows with people who uh have expressed that they like my stuff. Right. Um the the problem I have found with playing with people is that most people that want to be a part of my project don't care as much about the project as I do mm-hmm. and and for for me Thomas I'm sure you can relate hmm. um I was going to say that sounds familiar <laughs> for for me I mean my music project is is like the thing that I care about most in in the world so even if I do find somebody who does care about it chances are they're not going to care as much about me about it as I am so I've I've just kind of, you know, resigned to the fact that it's really just going to be me for the most part and that I have to learn how to do everything. Even even with people who will will produce your stuff and will mix your stuff and master it, even right. they, even they uh even if you pay them, and I'm not I'm not generalizing and saying everyone, mm-hmm. but the yeah. people that that I've encountered, um even they don't care enough about my project to ma- to mix it and master it in the way that I think is is best. I really just want complete control over my over my project. So I guess uh, for the time being, you're the only one with your own vision. And it's hard to get other people to see that vision. It, it's it's hard to for number one. It's hard to find musicians who are are skilled enough to stay in rhythm um, yeah. and and stay in pitch. I mean that that's the biggest the biggest thing is. I mean rhythm especially. Not everybody is is gifted enough to keep a tempo. Yeah, and for me, like I don't have an amazing sense of rhythm, but I've worked on it extremely hard for my whole life. I work on it every day. My my sense of pitch is naturally like my strong point, but but rhythm is what I've worked on. And I th- I think people don't realize that they have to work. You have to work every single day on music if you really want to be like a professional. It's a full time gig. Yeah, it's not something that you just dabble with on the weekends. It's hard to half-ass and get the results that you want. Yeah. But uh, you have a uh, full-time job, from what I understand, at the at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I do. How do you juggle continuing to uh, pursue music and also, uh, you know, work 40 hours a week? It is extremely challenging. Um, in college, I had a, a, a ton of time. I had way more free time than I have now as, as somebody who works full-time. And, you know, I kind of took that for granted. I think it's easy to. Yeah, it is. Because it's, it's all I really knew. I had never really worked full-time before recently. But how, how I balance it, 
I mean, it's tough because most days I, I want to come home because my commute is long. So most days I want to come home and I just want to watch TV or... Yeah, you're too exhausted to focus on something. Yeah, um, but I force myself to um, because, I mean, it's it's really the, the sense of joy I get when I create a song that, that I like. And the more the more songs I release, the closer I get to the vision that I that I want. So yeah, I just come home and I force myself to write for at least half an hour. So what does writing mean? So writing means um, sitting at the keyboard and playing chords improvisationally and singing improvisationally and just seeing what flows out. And that's good because that's a reasonable amount of time to set aside every day. I mean, that's something you can achieve. Exactly. Um, and, and I feel like with anything, with, with anything, with fitness, um, with a diet, uh, it's important to set goals that are easy to achieve. So hence the half an hour a day for me. Um, and the reason why I just, I use the half an hour to just improvise singing and, and playing is because I want to keep the part of me that generates melodies um, lubricated. Interesting terminology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is the, uh, the process of creating a song look like for you these days? How does that happen? I love that. I love that question. The, the process of making a song for me is as follows. I think the most important point to take away from what I say about my process is that your songwriting process should be creative in and of itself. So you should be creative in terms of how you go about trying to write songs. It shouldn't always be the same way. Usually what I do when I write songs is I sit at the keyboard and I play chords and I sing. I just let whatever comes out come. I, and a, a lot of people think, oh, but don't you have to feel inspired to come up with a melody? Like, like, like what if you're not inspired? A, a lot of people don't write songs because they're like, well, I'm not feeling it. And when I do feel it, then I'm not near like a, a, something to record myself. I'm not near a keyboard. So, oh yeah. man, like that, that's, that's a problem. Have, that mindset is a problem. So what I do is, is I sit at the keyboard and even if I'm not feeling inspired, I'll try to let flow out what, flow, what flows out. And, and if, I'm, if I'm feeling disillusioned or if I'm feeling nothing, then I'll sing about that. And I'll sing about, I want to feel, feel something. So I'll let my energy say, I'll let my energy come out as I want to be feeling something. Why am I not feeling something? And then soon I will be feeling something. So you create inspiration, in other words. Yeah, you, you create inspiration. So what I do is I keep singing until what I'm listening to is resonating with me. Because when you first start doing that, when you first start trying to generate, it, chances are what you, you won't like what you sing. Mm -hmm. um, and chances, chances are you won't like what you sing for a while. So sometimes, I mean, say you're inspired, sometimes it's five minutes and then, and then you'll like what you're, what you're saying. But usually it, you have to do it for more than a half an hour for you to start liking what's coming out of you. It takes a lot of patience. Yeah, it takes a lot of patience. It's not something that, that just uh, is just a gift that songwriters are given. And it, it takes a ton of work. So there was this uh, metaphor that somebody, uh, I forget who said this. Um, oh, it was uh, Lynn manuel Miranda said this. Oh, the Hamilton guy. Yeah, the, the Hamilton guy said this. He said, writing a song is like turning on a faucet 
And when you first turn on the faucet, what comes out is, you know, say, say it's an old faucet. What comes out is brown and the water is, is gross. But so you have to let the faucet run until it's clear. And, and that's what songwriting is. Oh, that's a great analogy. Right? It's amazing. And, and, and that's what has worked for me time and time again. Uh, there are, there are many days where I, uh, try to generate melodies improvisationally for 45 minutes and nothing comes out. And, and some, sometimes this happens for weeks straight. I, I try to do it every day and, and I, I come up with things that are okay. And that I might've, that I might've used in the past, but I think with every song I release, my standards get higher. Right. You want to make something that was better than the last thing you made. Yep. So my songwriting, so that's the first step. Sometimes what will happen is uh, I'll generate a, a whole verse at one time or a whole chorus at one time. And like to me, that's the best case scenario because when you when you let it flow out and the song comes out, in as big of a chunk as possible, I, I feel like that flows better for the listener. And uh, Thomas is nodding. He totally gets what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but sometimes if you want to write a different kind of song, like a song that's more interesting and uh, and less sort of about the groove, um, what, what I'll do is I'll come up with one line, one, one interesting line um, that contains a melody that that's catchy or that's somehow a cool pattern. And then I'll have that line and I'll try to build on to that line. Oh, interesting. I do something pretty similar with some of my songs. That sounds like a familiar way to work. I definitely can hear that that's the way you write because every single one of your lines that you sing or, or any, every single one of your melodies sounds like it was crafted individually and pieced together with the next line like a puzzle. And that's what I like about your about your stuff so much is that it's like it's pieced together like like a puzzle. And the puzzle is this beautiful, like retro uh, impressionist painting or something. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so you have this kind of improvisational experience at first. You're just feeling your way through the dark. And then, um, like you said, sometimes you come up with a phrase to center more ideas around. So once you get the compositional part of the song done, how do you decide to arrange it or uh, what, how do you record it? How, do, how does that look for you? Because, I mean, you do everything yourself. I take it um, you produce everything in your bedroom as well? Yep. Everything happens in my bedroom. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, so... Where and you know all of these are really interesting questions because I care very much about songwriting. So really, any question about songwriting to me is like going to be like, yes, yeah, I'll answer that. Musicians love to talk about their process. That's what I'm finding out. Yeah, totally. Okay, so say I piece together a bunch of phrases or I generate a, a full song. So what that will look like is a piano part and me singing with not with words that don't make sense. Right. Um, and, and, and oftentimes the words are actually, you know, they come from my subconscious, but oftentimes they're the same words. So, so what I'll do is, is I'll have that, you know, nonsense word song and I will start by, okay, because I want, I want to preserve often the sound of the, the phonemes. So, so the, the language itself. So I have to find words that sound like the nonsense phrase. Yeah. You want to approximate the sound of the words you're looking for, even if you don't uh, have the meaning yet, 
which I think is very similar to like uh, David Byrne from Talking Heads. He would do that. I think that's how he formed a lot of his lyrics that exact same way. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and 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 what's what's interesting about that also is that sometimes my nonsense phrases become the lyrics themselves. Yeah, you can come up with some interesting phrases that way as well. Absolutely. So it's kind of like I'm I'm almost getting the ideas for the contents of the lyrics from the nonsense words. Not always, but sometimes. Hmm. So so then what I do you know, I'll have now I'll have a song. So I'll be able to sit at the piano and perform the song. So what I do is I think about how I want that song to sound. Do I want that song to be distorted? Do I want that song to be a powerful rock song? And what's interesting is that my sentiments on that change every few months. And every few months I'm like, oh, I'm I'm more into a you know, a natural kind of piano vocal raw type of thing. Different season, different mood. Exactly. I feel like that would be more intrinsically uh, me. Um, and then some months I'm like, I want something powerful. I want a big arrangement um, and I want something to like blow the speakers off. Um, so really it's just, it's just where I'm at. Like my, my, the arrangement that I choose is just like where I'm at in terms of uh, arrangement ideology. Right. You go through different phases. Yep. Like right now I'm in a like very heavily distorted uh, big guitar, like beefy guitar phase. Yeah, you're in kind of like a 90s anthem rock phase by the, the sound of some of your singles. <laughs> but it's an, it's an interesting sound. It's a, you're kind of, a, in my mind, you're a kind of piano ballad guy. Right. Kind of a lot quieter, more mellow a lot of the time. So it's interesting to pair that with uh, the sort of arrangements you're making now. So... Um, how do you find all the different sounds that you use in your songs? Because you have a very wide kind of sonic palette. It doesn't sound like you're limited to just a, a piano and a, and a vocal mic or something like that. So I draw my influences in terms of the sonic palettes um, from Animal Collective a lot. This band samples a lot of natural sounds like insects and um there's lots of screams and shrieks as well <laughs> yeah so, some of that and so how i go about choosing sounds for a song is i will have in my mind a concept of what i want the sound to be like and what i do is i i try different instruments in in logic pro x my, my recording software and i try to put different effects on them like different filters different reverb uh distortion and you know different uh delays mm -hmm. and i try to get them as close to what they are in my mind as possible so you like to tinker yeah i definitely spend a lot of time tinkering and and that that's something that if you really want to record your own stuff, yeah, you, you have to get comfortable with doing. You have to be comfortable with spending uh, hours in a studio. Um, it's be, being a, a recording artist, be, being a songwriter is is not something you can do if you don't have uh, an incredible sense of organization because it takes so much executive function and memory and uh, you really got to have your wits about you. Uh, of course, you can get away with, you know, just th throwing a, a mic on your desk and, and recording your, your raw vocal and guitar into the, into the mic. But if you really want to be a recording artist, it requires a lot of organization and studying. Because and you have to take on more roles at that point. You're doing uh, what a producer would do or what an arranger would do or even sometimes what a mixing engineer would do. You have to make these different decisions if you want to go beyond just that raw you know, vocals and guitar sort of approach that you were talking about. 
Exactly, because you, you have to take on different jobs. And uh, that, to me, is the hardest part about being a solo artist, is you're, you're not just a songwriter, but you're also an audio engineer and a producer. So um, what is the origin of the name A Part Of? What are you a part of? Can, can I talk about drugs on this podcast? You can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> whatever is relevant to you. <laughs> so... The name a part of comes from an experience that I had while on, on a pretty high dose of mushrooms. So what happened is I was on my college campus and I was with one of my ex-girlfriends and we were just walking around and everything was so beautiful and we didn't see dragons or anything. Some people have this concept about hallucinogens like you hallucinate. You don't hallucinate. What you do feel is extremely connected to everything um and you feel like like i feel like especially in this society we think of ourselves as like being separate from the environment and competing with each other yeah competing with this this competitive society like kind of forces us to um see ourselves as these superior beings ab above the natural world and very different from everything else all, all, all the other matter in the universe but do, doing shrooms for me um, helped me realize that everything is part of the same energy and if you don't know what I mean that's okay because it, it, it might sound really cliche what, what I'm saying but like when you have a hallucinogenic trip it's tangible and it's it's impossible to deny the uh, the gravity of that realization it just hits you um, and so what basically where the name a part of came from was I felt like every aspect of reality, every particle of everything was reverberating with the message, be a part of. And I didn't, it's not like I hallucinated this phrase. It was almost as if everything in reality was made of this phrase. It was like everything was pointing to be a part of. Um, and the phrase that I kept experiencing was understand, appreciate, be a part of. And uh, to me, that's like a sequential progression. Like when encountering anything in reality, first you have to understand it. Mm -hmm. You just got to wrap your head around it, whether it be a person or an idea. First, you just try to understand where they're coming from, what it's about. And once you understand then you can start to appreciate the concept or the person. Okay. Um, and, then, and then once you appreciate the concept or the person and you understand why it's meaningful and why it's special, then you can start to incorporate it. So maybe you can start to hang out with that person or you can start to be friends with that person. Or with the idea, then you can incorporate it into your own you know, system of reality in, in your mind. So I heard this phrase and everything was reverberating with understand, appreciate, be a part of. It was extremely profound and moving to me. It wasn't like I had this idea. It was like the universe was conveying to me this idea. And so it was a, an experience that changed my life and made me realize that I'm not alone. I'm not an island. I'm not isolated. I'm part of this one energy that is everything. And so I, so I started the A Part Of Project after that realization, and I've tried to infuse everything that I've put out with that message in some way, whether it's overt or sort of more under the surface. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the vibe you're trying to put out with your sound. Yep. That's what you're trying to convey to people. So that's how you summed it up. Uh -huh. um, I've noticed for all your releases, you've always had really nice artwork. I was wondering who does that for you. Thank you. I'm... Um, 
I'm glad you like my artwork. Some of it's me. Um, most of the really good stuff is not me. Um, most of the really good stuff, I have these three female friends who are insane at art. And what I do is, is, is I tell them about my dreams and I have them draw my dreams. And so that's what becomes the uh, album art. Huh. I guess that's why they're so psychedelic looking. They're coming from your, your dreamscape. Absolutely. Speaking of artwork for your music, what are uh, some strategies you take when you're uh, trying to promote your music, when you want to get more people to listen to it? Where, where does that fall for you? Uh, yeah, this, this is an extremely difficult um, concept. I, I don't like uh, repeatedly sort of whoring myself out, which is kind of what makes it hard to promote myself. But that really is kind of what you have to do if you want to get your stuff out there. Um, I've tried a lot of different approaches. I've tried doing YouTube covers. And that does get you a little visibility. Um, like if you choose popular songs, you got to choose popular songs. You can't you can't just choose your your favorite obscure songs uh, if you want to do this strategy. But you have to choose popular songs, cover them, tag them correctly, um, and then you have to do this like a lot. And so I tried this. I'll tell you, the hard part about it is that it's hard to put together a, a good quality video of you uh, covering a song in one take because, well, for me, it's hard for me because I don't really like popular music. So I kind of have to learn these popular songs. Um, and then... I mean, are you covering Justin Bieber or something? What are you doing? I, I covered Sia. I, I, I try to cover like the, the, like the more um, imaginative popular songs. So it's hard. Um, if you know a lot of popular songs and you're comfortable with performing full songs through and put, you know, making videos and syncing up the audio, this is a good thing. This is, this is a good way. You just have to do it consistently. Another strategy that's good is I've recently gotten into Instagram marketing. Um, and so what you got to do is post at least one video or picture a day just of your music, you singing uh, or art with your music. Just being a musician in general. Yeah, just be, being a musician. From experience, what I found gets the most views and, and uh, likes is when you post a video of you singing either a cover or an original. So that, that gets a lot more likes and views than if you post a picture of you. Uh, it also gets a lot more likes and views than if you post um, art with your song. Hmm. So you're saying um, even if it's not a cover, if it's an original, that still gets people's attention? And I guess that's ideal because you're getting attention and not for the wrong reasons. If people like what they see there, they're going to like uh, your music in general. They're not coming there for just uh, to hear a, a cover of an artist that has nothing to do with your music, you know? Exactly, exactly. And that's the hard thing about doing covers is that the person who listens may like your cover, and they have even a, a less chance of wanting to investigate your stuff from the cover. But, you know, if you post videos of your originals on Instagram, I feel like almost almost bad giving away this secret because mm -hmm. it's, it's such a good, such a good marketing strategy. But everybody's perking their ears up, listening intently. <laughs> it's an amazing strategy. I've, I've gotten like 20 good fans within the past month um, just from this. Wow. That's no time at all. It's yeah, it's been a godsend. What's been your experience performing live? Oh, are you not as much a live performer in terms of going out to uh, venues and stuff? 
Um, I love performing live. It's it's probably my favorite thing to do with regards to music. It's hard for me to perform live just given where I live. I live quite a bit outside of the city. And what city is that? Boston. So I, I live outside the city, um, but once I move in there, I'm, I'm going to do more more shows. But my approach to playing live shows was as follows. Um, the first couple of performances that I did, open mics, where I was extremely nervous and I, I couldn't really enjoy the performances. That's hard when it's your first time. <laughs> it is. And around the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I got, I got more and more comfortable each time uh, to the point where I could just let it flow and just like and when what's so interesting about performing live um is that it's not just you that's contributing to the the goodness of of the performance it's the the audience is feeding you energy it, it feels much different um than performing in in your bedroom with no one when you're performing live and the audience is feeling you uh it's the best feeling imaginable so I've I've uh, I've performed originals live. Um, I've also I did this one thing once, where I I did my songwriting process mm -hmm. in front of the audience, and and I didn't tell them this, huh. but I I because <laughs> I just said I I like to just not say anything when I perform live. You don't like to talk at all. Yeah, I just like to let the music speak for itself. It's cool. People who talk, that's cool with me. Like if you want to joke around with the audience, I like it. But for me, it's just. I wanted to just let the music speak for itself. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I come up to the piano bench, I sit at the piano, and I just started pouring my, my heart out, and I don't know what I sang. <laughs> I, I don't even remember. You were just in a daze, in a trance? Yeah, I was, I was in, in a complete trance, and uh, I sang for, for 15 minutes straight, like the equivalent of like three songs. And uh, so I finished. At the, end, at the end, I look out at the audience, and they were just like, <laughs> their faces were like, what the hell? <laughs> some of them were some some of them looked really like sad and some of them looked really confused. I, I think I think they were like a combination of some of the more open-minded people were more moved right. and some of the more like less open-minded people were like what is he singing? So you got some sort of reaction one way or another. Yeah, that's what you want. <laughs> oh, also I wanted to ask you, do you have any specific releases coming up? Any uh next albums in the works or where are you with that yeah um there's this poet whose work i've admired for a really long time he's this turkish guy um and he uh his name is meli levy you'll, you'll you'll hear the name and you'll read the name if you're if you're a fan of mine in in the coming months but he is turkish and his english is is interesting because of that because hmm. he's he's a polyglot so yeah yeah so so his english comes out like sort of a very abstract and I, and I love that this is not to say he's bad at English he's, he's fantastic in English he has a unique usage of the language exactly and uh, so I, I asked him uh, if, if he wanted to collaborate if he wanted to you know write lyrics for me um, and he said yes he said cause he's loved my stuff he's a huge fan of my stuff he sent me these poems today and what I'm going to do is I'm going to use them to generate melodies and so in the coming months you should hear different lyrics from me and i should be yeah working with him yeah it's always nice to have a collaborator oh absolutely kind of uh take some of some of the work some off. of the work off and it just gives you some kind of fresh perspective with what you're doing because most of the time you're going to be just so sequestered by yourself you know yeah I, that's that's one of the um 
the more negative aspects of being a solo artist is that you are very isolated in your own concept of what your of what your project should be. Um, though people have no seem to have no problem telling you what they think of your uh, of your music um, in a negative way. I've I've had a, a lot a lot of people in my life give me unsolicited advice about how they think my project could could be better and as that's fine like if i ask you for constructive criticism right if you're looking for for that sort of feedback yeah i guess uh i'll have to wrap up soon but we can touch on another topic or two uh what what was something you wanted to uh to elaborate on all right so i just have some stuff that i just, i want to discuss about songwriting and mass appeal and stuff mm-hmm. here's just some personal advice for for the songwriters who are, who are looking for it when writing melodies, it's important to let them flow out of you. Don't try too hard to generate them. Like, be patient. It's not something you can force. Yeah, like, I, I think uh, to be even more specific, I think when I'm, writing a melody, when I'm writing melodies, I have a tendency to keep singing these long phrases because I want them to become interesting. It's like I don't want to wait. I, it's like I just want the phrase to unfold into something interesting as opposed to like singing one phrase, letting it breathe, listening to my inner voice, and then letting my inner voice speak. So I, I think what's important, and, and this is like the main thing that I, I would want a listener to take away, um, is listening to your inner voice instead of telling it what to say. So I feel like when I'm writing songs, I have the tendency to sing and and tell my inner voice say I, I want I want to sing this and I want the melody to be like this instead of listening to what's going on in my subconscious and letting it come out like without fucking with it yeah so I think I think the most important thing is is to let it come let it be and not try too hard mm-hmm. it's very good advice I think thanks Another thing I think is um, that I've struggled with as a songwriter is the balance between abstract and clear lyrics. I think if you make your your lyrics very clear, then there's a good chance that your audience is going to know what you're talking about. You mean like literal? Like just saying exactly what you mean? Yeah, very literal. Like, like I'm... You know, I'm I'm feeling sad, da da da. Like just very, very, very uh, concrete. I, I I think that there's a place for that, and I think that that's important. Like when you have an idea that you think is really important, and you only want the audience to interpret it in that way, and uh, there must be a balance struck between abstraction and clarity, because I think abstraction is important because it brings novelty to your songs. It, it makes it interesting to people who really care about music. When, when your lyrics are novel, when you're translating your thoughts in a way that's intrinsic to you and not in a way that's, that you think other people will be able to grasp most easily and is most accessible. I think that's something that really frustrates me with a lot of music is that I don't feel like the songwriters are really translating their deepest thoughts into lyrics as they exist in the songwriters' minds. Um, I think they're trying to appeal to, to the listener in a way that takes away from the novelty and uniqueness of the mm. song. They're catering too much to their perceived audience. Exactly. Um, I think abstraction in lyrics is, is important because it allows for more interpretations and 
therefore more relatability. And it also gets the imagination going more. It's more interesting. I, I don't want to listen to a song that, you know, talks about the same concept that I've heard discussed um, in a thousand other songs in a slightly different way. Um, I want to hear a song that, or who, whose phrases are completely differently structured and, and is just poetic. Because um, why would you want to make a song that is anything like another song? Wouldn't you want to get as far away? But I feel like here, therein lies um, the trap of trying to be too obscure and, and, and trying to be too unique to the point where you're not relatable at all. So, so I think, again, where you must return to is to translate your deepest inner thoughts to music in a way that's most authentic to you, not how you think others will perceive it. Ah, very well put. <laughs> Thanks. I think that uh, sounds like a good note to end on. Okay. <laughs> Again, I want to thank you for, for coming on, sharing your thoughts on music. And uh, yeah, when I'm back in Massachusetts, if you, uh, if you end up getting a show lined up or something, I want to Want to check it out? Hell yeah, dude! I mean, I would love to have you at, at, at any show. You, you could, you could uh, open for me, or we could play our own open mic, or or whatever. Yeah, sounds good. That's it. Another one in the can. A very talented young man, that Alex. You could probably tell he has a lot of flattering things to say about my music as well. It's uh, it's good to have fans. As always, I want to put in a reminder for you all to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you like what I'm putting out. Also, as I've said earlier, the more iTunes streams, ratings, and reviews I can get for talking about the passion, the better. Sure would be nice to get on the, uh, the new and noteworthy section of music podcasts. Just saying. If anyone has any suggestions, questions, or comments for me about the podcast, or if you would like to inquire about getting featured on the podcast, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, I'm still open to ideas in terms of catchphrases, so if you guys come up with anything, be sure to send that along. Up now, we have two more A Part Of songs. First is Field of Columbines, and then Competing Waves. See you next time.
whispering of wind Trying to tell me all these years Something I can't quite figure out That flickering dreamland I can't quite For now it seems I need to forget her 